Thanks for downloading show 40 of the C-Suite podcast, an episode that's a first for the series again, as I'm going to be speaking to two guests who are both based in the UAE, because in today's show, we're looking at the growth in that region with a particular focus on what's being done to attract both businesses and tourists there. My name's Russell Goldsmith, and later on in the show, I'll be chatting with Alex Malouf. Um, Alex is Procter & Gamble's Corporate Communications and Reputation Manager for the Arabian Peninsula. But earlier, I caught up with Hamdi Kulachulu, who is the General Manager of Luxury Store Tri and I started off by asking him whereabouts in the region he was based. Um, thanks for having me, Russell. Absolute um, pleasure. We're, we're based in Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. Yas Island is about 30 minutes from Abu Dhabi and about one hour from Dubai. So it's in the middle of uh, both uh, main cities of the UAE. It's an island that is an entertainment destination which features quite a lot of activities. The most well-known one is the Formula One track. You have Yas Mall, which is uh, one of the largest shopping malls in the region. And we are based in Yas Mall in Yas Island. And, and of course, yeah, you mentioned the F1 there. I mean, that, that must bring record numbers of, of people coming to, to a, attend on, on those weekends, I guess. Absolutely. Um, Formula One Abu Dhabi has been uh, held here since 2009. So it's in its uh, eighth year in 2017. Uh, It's a very pleasant environment. One of the most uh, visited Formula One in the the world. And uh, there are a whole lot of activities because the island is designed to host a bunch of other things. There is a concert hall next to the, the track. You have the Ferrari World, which is a theme park of Ferrari. Uh, you have a, a golf course, one of the best in the region. You have a water park. You have uh, amazing hotels. One of the hotels is actually situated above the racetrack. So you, if you stay in the hotel, you can watch the Formula One from your hotel. Wow. So it's, it's quite an amazing um, destination. Yeah, it sounds an incredible place to be working as well. Now, now on, on to matters at hand. Um, I, I read on the Retail Gazette website a, a story posted recently about um, so it's a new global luxury retail report. And, and it said that London saw a total of 41 new luxury openings last year compared to 36 in Paris, 31 in, in both New York and Dubai and uh, 24 in Milan and, and this was off the back of a CBRE and, and Walpole report that named London as, as the world's uh, top destination for luxury retail and now that said it, it holds the greatest long-term potential for the sector compared to similar uh, luxury hotspots and um, despite the worrying um, surrounding uh, Brexit um, implications and, and obviously we've, we've only just recently triggered article 50 on that but I'm, but I'm guessing you might have something to say about that whole that whole report. I think uh, definitely London is is a very important destination for luxury retail. However, I would say at the same time, UAE, uh, especially Dubai, is is also um, a very very important you know luxury shopping destination, and Abu Dhabi is also on track to become one of the the important capitals for for shopping. Um, if you look at the UAE, the, the retail experience in terms of shopping malls is probably uh, the best in the world. You have amazing mega malls. Uh, you have Dubai Mall, the largest in the world, if, I, if I'm not wrong, uh, with its 
you know, you have the Mall of the Emirates with its ski slopes. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think Dubai is competing head to head with world class retail uh, destinations. And now you have Abu Dhabi uh, coming as well to become an important destination for the region as well. And, and how many um, shopping ma- malls, you, you mentioned the mega malls there, how, how many do you, do you have in the region? There are more than 50 mega shopping malls. Right. Um, a lot of them feature world-class designer brands, uh, international department stores, regional department stores. Um, if I wanted to give you a few of the, the, the numbers, especially relative to Abu Dhabi, uh, the growth in Abu Dhabi is twice uh, the growth of Dubai in terms of tourists visiting. Oh, really? The growth in 2016 was 8% growth relative to 4% in Dubai. We had about 5 million tourists visiting uh, Abu Dhabi and uh, they have registered about 12 million guest nights. Wow. So this increase represents a new record for the capital of UAE. And um, this is why we decided to launch our new concept Trano in Abu Dhabi to um, to service this fast-growing market. Okay. Now, you you mentioned uh, just earlier some of the things that um, you know some of these these mega malls are, are doing. You know, and and of course, you know, obviously the, the ski slope is is possibly one of the uh, the most well-known of those. But but what I'm keen to find out is what um, Triano are, are looking to do at the Asmal. Um, you know, to go that extra step to um, to attract those tourists. Sure. I mean, from the beginning, our aim in the Triano concept was to go beyond traditional retail and to deliver an ultimate experience for our guests. Mainly our focus is the the family. Yas Island is a family destination, so we want it to be the retail destination for the family, whether they are local, regional or expats or tourists. Now, uh, we have quite a lot of features in our store uh, related to services and related to entertainment. We have in our kids floor, we have a a working carousel, sliders, a tree house. So it's a wonder world for kids. They can come with their parents, the kids can play. Uh, We have an amazing restaurant, uh, a concept that we imported from Paris called La Patisserie de Rêve. So um, uh, the parents can have amazing food, breakfast, lunch, dinner, desserts, pastries. We have a photo studio so you can get your uh, family pictures taken in a professional studio. We have a concierge service. We have a private uh, makeup rooms uh, for beauty. We have uh, customization for bags. Uh, we have a bag spa so you can bring in your you know, bag and get it cleaned up or repaired. So all of those services and uh, entertainment combined, uh, you know, the ultimate shopping experience uh, as a goal for for the concept of Trana. That's incredible. Um, 
listen, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, outside of what you're doing in store, I, wa- I wanted to sort of come on to some of the marketing you're doing uh, for Triano. Because, um, you know, on this, on this podcast series, we cover quite a lot about social media in, in particular, and also in the area of working with social influencers. And, and the reason why I, I brought that up is that I can see you have quite an active blog and that you you know for for the for the store um but you also have um almost 24,000 likes on your facebook page and close to 17,000 followers on instagram but your your twitter account only has sort of around 100 followers so you know i, I was keen to understand you know what's what's the the priority in terms of when it comes to social media but also i read on your on um a post on your a blog around the launch of a new uh, beauty range at your store and that was by the actress um Marianne Uzeli uh, and you've partnered with six regional influencers to create looks from uh, Maryam's um, beauty kit so yeah I was wondering if you can just talk us through how you use social media and influencers for attracting visitors from outside the region as, as well as locally well today our audience is is young relatively young uh, the median age in the region is about 27 so they're highly connected they, they use social media very actively. Uh, and the, the direction of you know, marketing in our business is going more uh, and more in the digital world. So a lot of our marketing efforts are into the digital world and social media. Uh, the fact that we are not using Twitter actively, we, we decided to focus on the, the you know the mainly used uh, channels which is Facebook and Instagram okay and we focused our efforts in those channels uh, whereas you're right we definitely need to be more active on Twitter which we are working on it as well um, so but the idea is, is to do it in a qualitative way uh, it's not the number of likes or the number of followers but how engage those uh, people those uh, customers or fans who are uh, following us in social media is more important for us. So we want to make sure that we build an emotional connection with them. Um, and I think we've done a good job in, in about a year, a little over a year. We reached uh, such numbers, but more importantly, they're highly engaged. So the 24,000 likes that we get on our Facebook page are highly engaged with, with our brand. Mm. Now, um, we have partnered with Maryam Uzarli, who is a, a very well-known actress uh, from the Turkish series uh, called Harim Sultan, uh, The Magnificent Century. And uh, she is uh, launching her beauty kit. We partnered with her to launch it exclusively in Trano. And there was no better way to communicate this on social media. Mariam has about 3 million followers on her um, social media, on, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so we partnered with her as well. We partnered with six regional influencers, like you mentioned, to really communicate this amazing activity throughout the region to the audience where we could really, you know, capitalize on her coming into Trano, signing her own beauty kit, giving a makeup, uh, personal, you know, makeover to some of the guests yeah. and 
to communicate this through the social platforms. And, you know, we've seen an amazing response in, in this activity. Our store, we had probably almost a thousand people coming into the store that day. Uh, we couldn't have enough security cards to, to manage the crowds. But in the end, the, the response was amazing. We, in one month, our, our social media, you know, peaked. Uh, all the engagement numbers, records were broken. Um, and, you know, this is, this is the way to go in today's uh, retail environment and, and what we do with marketing. Excellent. Yeah, so, so obviously you're going to be looking to do sort of more of that kind of activity, I guess. We are actually, we, we've done activities like this before. We will continue doing activities, uh, similar activities. Again, as long as it's relevant to our brand and our audience. Sure. Okay, um, we're jumping around on a couple of different topics. I, w I wanted to ask you um, just something in the timing of this interview actually is, is, is quite um, perfect because um, Edelman recently announced uh, the findings of their 2017 trust barometer. And interestingly, there was a post on, on their site by their chief um, executive officer of um, Edelman uh, United Arab Emirates. Uh, his, his name's Todd uh, Donhauser. And in it, he says, and, and I quote, um, the UAE continues to build on high levels of trust, uh, topping the 2017 trust barometer as the world's most trusting country in government among informed publics, um, as the UAE's leadership uh, presses on with ambitious investment development plans in tandem with a broad economic diversification strategy that charts the post-oil future of the country. And then it goes on to talk about the fact that as the region faces the macroeconomic uh, impact of low oil prices, the impetus increases to demonstrate what the government is doing to protect the future and grow the economy. Um, I was just wondering, are you able to share any particular government programs that, that you're aware of that are helping luxury retailers like yourself to attract more visitors to the region? Well, um, what I would like to say before uh, going into particular programs is that what's happening in the region is actually definitely uh, a very positive uh, development for the long term. You know, the fact that the oil prices are low and the government is, is trying to, you know, diversify itself into other um, categories of business and sources of income is, is helping establish a foundation that is less uh, inclined to crisis or sharp fluctuations in, you know, uh, in oil price so that there is a more stable uh, environment in the future okay uh, what happens with that is that also all the businesses are adjusting themselves accordingly so that maybe in the short term uh, there will be some uh, minor effects to businesses and the economy but on the long term this is definitely going to be very good now we see uh, for example in Abu Dhabi I can tell you that there's a uh, a whole lot of different investments in infrastructure and in in developing tourism and culture you know there's the new airport being built uh, in Abu Dhabi which uh, is scheduled to open in 2019 uh, it's definitely going to increase uh, dramatically the the number of visitors in the in in the capital of the UAE you have Yas Island, which is a major entertainment destination. The development in the island is continuing. Uh, they're adding more hotels. You have the Warner Brothers theme park opening next year. 
there will be different phases uh, being deployed in the coming years. So to, to make sure Yas Island becomes a major entertainment hub. Then next to Yas Island, you have Sadia, Thailand, which is designed to become a cultural center. In Sadia, Thailand, you have Lure Museum opening in May which is going to be a very important uh, destination for travelers in the region. This is probably the, the only Louvre museum outside of Paris. You have a uh, Guggenheim museum as well planned, uh, which is probably the next few years. Uh, however, it's definitely going to happen. Then you have universities, you have uh, art galleries. So you have entertainment, you have culture, you have tourism, you have shopping, all of this is definitely creating an ecosystem uh, in a very stable environment, in a very safe environment, uh, with a beautiful climate most of the year, you know, maybe except the summer, which is quite hot here. But, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of this is driven by the government itself. The government is planning this for, for a long-term approach. They're diversifying themselves into tourism, into becoming a hub for business, uh, creating a really safe and stable ecosystem for both tourism, for businesses, and for for uh, uh, becoming a hub in the region. Just out of interest, how long have you been there yourself? I'm actually uh, here only a little over two years. Okay, but is it? Uh, I'm, I'm quite new here. But but you'd say it's pretty much home for you now. Then it sounds like why why would anyone want to leave? Yeah, no, it's uh, the, the region is so dynamic, you know, even in two years, it feels like a lot more than that. Yeah. So many things change so fast. There's there's very high energy and high pace of life here. OK, well, listen, we, we've got we've got a pretty informed um, and I'd like to think well traveled bunch of listeners on on, on the C-Suite podcast. So he, here's your chance. I mean, you, you've done a, a pretty good job uh, promoting the area um, just now. But if you had to sum up you know, why our listeners should make the trip to the UAE in 2017 and maybe do a little, you know, a bit of luxury shopping whilst there. You've got one sentence this time. You know, what would that be? Well, um, they will be mesmerized. <laughs> uh, I can guarantee that. Uh, with all the attractions that's happening uh, around us, and especially, you know, uh, coming to our store, uh, Triano is an, is an ultimate destination for retail. It's a new generation department store combining shopping, entertainment, services, uh, and an amazing experience. So um, definitely it's a must visit store in the region. That's fantastic. Uh, Hamdi Kulachulu, uh, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. We are back after this. Thank you. You're listening to the C-Suite podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com Follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. You're listening to a UAE-focused C-Suite podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, and joining me on the line from Dubai is Alex Malouf, who is Procter & Gamble's Corporate Communications and Reputation Manager for the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, now, it's actually a warm welcome back to the show to Alex, as he is a previous guest from Show 17, when we discussed some of the challenges faced by multinationals in localising global campaign content for a local market. But the reason I was keen to get Alex on this particular show is uh, because, firstly, he's been in the UAE since 2004, um, so he's witnessed uh, its development close at hand. 
man, but he's also involved in a number of PR and uh, communications industry associations. He is the Amina Vice Chair of the International Association of Business Communicators. He's a steering committee member of the Engaged Corporate Volunteering Committee of the Dubai Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And he's also a board member of the Middle East Public Relations Association, where he looks after professional development and knowledge sharing. So actually, with all that going on, I'm amazed you found any time in your diary for this call, Alex. Oh, Russell, you always come at the, the top of the list. <laughs> oh, uh, that, 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 and, that and lots of coffee and tea always help. <laughs> Excellent. Now, in the first part of the show, I was actually chatting with uh, Hamdi Kulachulu, who is the general manager of Triano, and he's based in the Yasmao in Abu Dhabi. Um, Alex, you're in Dubai, um, as I mentioned, but you, you have a responsibility for the whole region at, at PNG, which I know covers neighbouring countries too. But within the UAE itself, how does the culture of doing uh, business differ across the region, would you say? Yeah, the region is is very diverse. I think people forget or people don't appreciate how diverse the the region is in terms of culture, um, in terms of language, in terms of religion as well. So, you know, we're we're in a a part of the world where you have a very diverse environment and you've really got to bear these, uh, these things in mind when you reach out to different stakeholder groups. You've got to understand what language means to your communications. You've got to understand how the culture impacts your communications. And also as well, you've got to understand different channels. You know, you look, for example, at social media. Social media over here is massive. Traditional media also plays a major part, but there's also then the different cultural imprints on how the various societies work in the region as well. So there's there's a lot of things at play and uh, you know, we as communicators need to to bear all of these um, external issues in mind when we do create communications campaigns and craft those messages. Yeah, I mean, well, you talk about the, the difference in, in cultures uh, across the region. I, I'll admit, and I don't know how many listeners are, are like me, but I actually had to look up how many Emirates made up the UAE, um, uh, which, for those wondering, is, is seven. Um, but I guess for most people, if, if you ask them, you know, they may be, be able to name Abu Dhabi or, or Dubai as part of that group, but may struggle to name, you know, the other five. If, if someone was considering expanding into that region or doing business out there, do they have a choice beyond those two well-known parts of the UAE, would you say? Yeah, there's a lot of choice in, in terms of the region today. Um, you've got a lot of different models when it comes to business and corporation. You know, you look at the Gulf region, Qatar is is becoming a very appealing destination. Obviously, there's a lot of investment because of the World Cup in in uh, Doha itself. Yeah, of course. Uh, Bahrain is, is also in the destination. Uh, Bahrain, the, uh, the the population are very well educated. Many of them speak English. They speak Arabic. They'll speak other languages as well. And also you can incorporate as a 100% offshore entity. The big market in, in the Gulf region is Saudi, and that's a little bit more challenging. But uh, again, in terms of doing business, you know, the closer you are to the customer, uh, obviously, the, the better it's going to be for your business. Yeah. So uh, Saudi is also an option. You've got Jeddah and Riyadh. In uh, each one of them, you're looking at sort of a city of, you know, five, six million each. Would you say, actually, you mentioned about English and Arabic. Would you say it's key to learn Arabic if you're going to be out there? It is a major advantage, particularly when you go outside of, of a hub like Dubai. Plus, as well, when you're dealing with government, 99% of the people in government are going to be native Arabic speakers. Right. But even beyond that, it, it gives you a glimpse into the culture. So you understand, again, how people think, how they behave, and then what you can do in terms of crafting communications messages to, to impact on, 
on those attitudes and behaviours. Sure. Well, it, well, it's actually the, the expansion into the region I, I wanted to focus on. And, and the reason being, the Dubai Multi-Commodities um, Centre released some, some findings and some of some new research um, just in March, actually. And it was carried out across 500 business owners here in the UK. And the headline is that since the Brexit vote, 42% of business owners have more of an appetite now to expand their business overseas. With the larger businesses, um, the more that appetite increases. So just a few figures here. It rises to 63%, 68% and then 72% for businesses with 100 to 250, 250 to 500, and then 500 plus employees. But obviously, the reason I'm talking to someone based in Dubai, you know, is is that whilst, you know, you would expect Europe to come top with 12% already operating there, but a further 67% considering expanding there. For the Middle East region, so there were 7% of businesses surveyed already operated there, but there were a further 38% considering expanding into the area. And of those, 75% would consider Dubai as their destination. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on those findings and, of course, of Dubai as a potential location for, for more British businesses. Well, Dubai it really comes at uh, the top of the list in terms of choosing locations in the region. I think there's a number of different reasons for that. One is the logistics. So there's a lot of uh, options and choices in terms of getting into Dubai. It's well served by Emirates, but also as well other airlines which come into Dubai and Dubai International Airport is, is one of the biggest airports in the world. I think it's just behind Heathrow in terms of size. But then also as well you've got the culture, you know, the yeah. the language of, of business and also as well of, of you know, essentially of uh, entertainment as well as English. It's very easy to adapt to Dubai because there isn't a, a strong there is a strong local culture but many people don't engage with it. So it doesn't impact foreigners in the same way that you'd find, say, the Saudi culture impacting foreigners who who move to Saudi. Right. Um, so it's it's an easy destination for people to come to. Plus, as well, you look at the the legal aspects of setting up in Dubai, and I think the the other sort of benefit is, you know, if you want your fish and chips, if you want your tea and scones, you can also get them in Marks and Spencers. So <laughs> there you go. You've, You've got you've got all your home comforts as well over here. So that's one benefit over expanding in in Europe or USA. Is is that what you're saying? Um, well, it, it's it's a big help, you know, when you you pop in, you get your Marks and Spencer sarnies at lunchtime. <laughs> uh, now, now, since Article 50 w- was triggered, um, obviously quite recently, we, uh, we we've seen the the UK Prime Minister Theresa May. She's you know visiting the Middle East or or certainly looking to build relationships and, and potential business deals. You, you actually mentioned some of your neighbouring um, countries uh, just, just earlier, Qatar and, and Saudi. But, you know, when, when these trips happen to the Middle East and then you look at some of the comments about them on, on social media, you, you do see a lot of negativity and people raising the topics of things like human rights, for example. What, what would your response be to something like that? You know, it, it's, a, it's a balancing act I think people have to strike. Um, this region is obviously very different from from Europe, from the UK, uh, and I think people have to be aware of those differences and and I think treat approaching them with some respect. As you'd imagine, you know, people over here do bristle when they're criticised, and it's it, you know it doesn't bode well for building up a long term relationship. But again, uh, they they are important considerations for many businesses over in the UK or in Europe. Yeah. So. I think people need to be aware of how best to approach these subjects you know by all means raise them but raise them in an environment where you 
where the person you're addressing doesn't feel they are being um, assaulted or offended. And, and as someone who, who works, obviously, in, in PR and, and comms, you know, within the, within the region, as, as I mentioned earlier, how would you assess the external communications that are coming from the UAE itself and, and also from businesses that are based there? You know, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, you look at, say, a, an emirate like Dubai, you've got 130 nationalities here, you've got even more languages than that, and it is a global tourist destination. And they have become very adept at crafting um, communications campaigns for different languages and different cultures. You know, a great example is what Dubai Tourism done has done with My Dubai. It was a, a wonderful campaign, and it appealed to all different types of nationalities, all different types of cultures, and they made it very accessible um, for people from across the globe who were coming into Dubai. So they they've done a really good job on understanding. I think cultural variations and then how you craft a communications campaign to suit those cultural variations. But I think there's there's still opportunities as well. This region is still maturing when it comes to communications and there's a lot of potential when it comes to areas such as public affairs, internal comms and crisis management as well. So I think anybody who's from the UK and who is experiencing these areas you know, would find a wealth of opportunity over here because, you know, we, we need people with experience in these areas who can come over and, and impart their knowledge and, and support corporations and organisations over here in terms of stepping up their communications. Well, that, that leads nicely on to my final question, actually, because I, I, what I wanted to finish off was if, if anyone was looking to, to expand, you know, their businesses in, into your region, what would be your sort of like key specific tips and, adv- and advice for them? I think just spend a little time doing your homework, come over here, explore the region you know from the ground don't believe you know what you read back in the uk there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff published back in the uk about this region much of which uh, isn't true come over i think meet with people in the industry over here meet with nationals as well and try and and essentially build up a viewpoint from different angles different perspectives and that will obviously help you in terms of making a decision as to whether or not you want to come over here. There's a lot of British nationals working in the industry over here. We've got a lot of uh, UK agencies um, who have set up shop and have done very well. But uh, again, the, the more you understand the culture and the nuances of the culture or the cultures in the region, the better you will do as a communicator. And that will play a, a big part in essentially in your success as a communicator in the Middle East. So please do come over, explore. And uh, if you do have any questions, just drop me a line. That's a very kind offer for you. Where's the best place for them? To, what's your, uh, probably what, on Twitter? Something like that? You, you can you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Google. You can find me anywhere. Just put my name in and I'll pop up somewhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent stuff. Alex Maloof, thanks very much for joining the show. Thanks very much, Russell. So that's it for show 40, but uh, we've got plenty more lined up in the coming months. And one exciting announcement I wanted to share was that thanks to our new sponsors, Capstone Hill Search, the C-Suite podcast is heading back to the Can Lion Festival of Creativity in June, uh, where I will once again be based at the Echo House of PR to record interviews with some key brands, agencies and influencers involved in the world of marketing and PR. So if you want to get involved in those shows or indeed any future shows, you can contact me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith or the contact form at csuitepodcast.com. Uh, don't forget you can also subscribe to the series on SoundCloud, iTunes and TuneIn by searching for the C-Suite podcast and of course as I always ask if you're on iTunes please 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 do give us a positive rating and review to help us up the uh, business charts thanks for listening and goodbye